This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Somehow, I got in the way and one of those branches, which was described to me as basically the size of a, of a small tree itself, fell on me and crushed my skull. I grew up in a small town in Western New York. And you know how it is with small towns where everybody knows everything and everybody knows everyone. <laughs> I didn't fully appreciate the value of growing up in a small community until I was much older. But the blessing of that has come back to me this year in a completely unexpected way. On the podcast today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Colleen Delu. Colleen is the recent best-selling author of Dancing in the Garden, and she is also my childhood friend. <laughs> Colleen and her twin sister, Kathy, were in my class at school up through second grade. In second grade, Colleen experienced a traumatic injury, a terrible accident that obviously impacted her life and, and really changed the trajectory of her life. Colleen grew up one of eight girls. So yes, she's a twin, but she is also one of eight girls. That in itself is remarkable. <laughs> we all knew the Baldwins. The Baldwins are intelligent, very gifted women. And this accident changed all of their lives. As I've had the opportunity to work with Colleen and hear more of the story, my respect for her family has deepened. What her parents went through and did, what her sisters did to help support her and to allow her to live her life is quite extraordinary. And it also gave me a deeper appreciation for my community, the community that rallied around Colleen and her family to help her get the resources and the support she needed. There is a lot more to that story and I can't wait for you to hear. <laughs> so I'm gonna stop there and I'm just gonna invite you to sit back and listen in while my friend, Colleen baldwin Duluth shares her story. Hi, Colleen. I have to tell you that I am I have been thinking about this moment for a long time, since the very first time we reconnected, whenever that was, like maybe December of last year, I have been thinking about the moment when we're actually going to get together and have this conversation. So I just want to say I'm excited and welcome to our podcast. It just takes one. <laughs> How are you? Thank you. I'm excited too. I, um, I was very pleased to reconnect with you. It, it brought back a, a lot of childhood memories and just good feelings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel absolutely the same. Our reconnection is an example of how important it is to 
to stay connected with people in your community throughout your life. And I want to share with the people who are listening a little bit about our connection and then how we reconnected. So I'm going to let you tell the story. Tell the people that are listening how you and I actually know each other and then how we ended up reconnecting last year. Okay. So we actually met back, I think it was in first grade. Um, but then um, it was in second, we were in the second grade class together as well. And um, you and I were friends. Um, and then the first week of school, I sustained a brain injury um, and was out of class for most of that year. Um, but then when I came back, seeing your smiling face and your bright eyes just helped me feel more comfortable coming back into the classroom. And you um, helped me along with any issues that I had that the teacher was not able to help me with. Yeah. So that's. I'll, I'll just add this right in there because I remember it so well. We're going to talk about what happened that first week of second grade and, and you know, what you've been through. Um, but what I remember is just being so happy that you came back because we knew something had happened to you and we knew it was not great. And we had been praying for you as we went to bed at night. My family had been praying to you for you for months uh, and I just remember you coming back in and just being so glad that you were back. <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't, I don't really remember a lot from the, you know, at the very beginning. Um, but I, you know, I, I know I was very self conscious. Um, mostly because I had to wear the hockey helmet and I didn't have any hair really. And that I just was very self-conscious of that. Yeah, I, I'm sure. And I didn't remember the helmet until you described it in your book, which we're gonna talk about. Um, I obviously do now, but it, you triggered that memory for me. I just remember sitting down and helping you take notes because you, your, your writing hand had been um, affected by this. And so you needed help taking notes and, you know, just helping get your backpack and things like that um, as you were, as you were finishing the day. And, um, you know, those are the, the, the things I remember, but mostly the feeling, just the feeling that you were okay. Yeah, I remember our teacher kind of making an announcement about me being back. And there was somebody who had broken his arm. Um, and he was back as well, I believe. I think he had been out for surgery or something. 
I don't remember. I am sure there are some people from Portville who are listening. So feel free to share who that was. I don't remember who broke their arm, um, but I'm, I'm sure somebody out there does. Let's just fast forward for a moment to how we actually reconnected, because although we were in second grade together, uh, we ended up going separate ways through college and, and on, on our own paths. Uh, but last year we reconnected. Go ahead and share how that happened. So I, um, I actually was going through um, Facebook one day near, near Christmas time. I think it was just after Christmas. Um, and I had noticed that you had posted a, a, a podcast. And uh, for some reason, I decided to listen to it. And it was a podcast um, which included um, Bernie Freitag. Um, and he was talking about his book, um, Finding Wonder in the Ordinary. Uh, and part of his story was his recovery. He had mentioned having had a, a brain injury as a young adult. And in listening to the podcast, I my heart was pricked that it was finally time for me to um, write my story, which I had started, but had kind of struggled with throughout the years. And um, so I responded to the post and um, that's how we started communicating and um, reconnected by um, wanting to get my story out and realizing that you were able to really help me. Yeah. You know, the name of the podcast is It Just Takes One, which is exactly, it took one podcast, you know, you to listen to one podcast. And then this reconnection was made, which again, I love the power of connection and um, how, how it just spreads outward. And so you got in touch with me and almost immediately we got started working on your book. And as we sit mm -hmm. here today, mid-October, 2022, your book has been published. It has become an Amazon bestseller. It's called Dancing in the Garden. And we're going to get to why it's called that in a little bit. But Colleen, just overall, as, as you sit here today, knowing that that little thought you had back then about it was maybe time to share your story to today where you can literally hold it in your hand. How are you feeling about that? You know. It's just very overwhelming that I, I actually accomplished it because when we first met, I was doubtful with my ability to really um, produce a book. Um, even though I knew that I, I had a story and it was an important story to get out there. I wasn't confident in my ability to to actually write a book, and um, 
thankfully you just were very encouraging and just really um, coached me and got me to where I just was like, well, I'm just going to write. I'm just going to write it all out and trust that um, your skill and and help will get me to a published book. I was really amazed at how fast it happened because hmm. I really thought that it would take a lot longer than it did. I think once but. you commit to it, you get the resources that you need to help. It's incredible what can happen and how quickly it can come together. Yeah, I just really, I like sitting today, that was less than a year ago that we connected. And, and technically it's been done for several weeks now. And it's just amazing to me that um, with the help of the Lord and you, I was able to get my book published. That's right. That's right. And I'm glad that you brought uh, your faith into this because um, just before we got on the call, we were talking about how there's no such thing as coincidence, you know, that people come into your lives at times when you need them and that there is a... Um, a strong God presence, certainly, uh, around you, around us, that helped bring us back together. And I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for that. So am I. I just, you know, I really value having you back in my life. Yeah, It's really been a wonderful gift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so let's dive into the book because um, our connection produced something really special that is going to go out and, and make an impact and a difference in a way that you, you couldn't have without having had an opportunity to write this story. You know, Colleen, you experienced a pretty traumatic moment in your life. And I want you to share the story, but I thought it might be nice to just read just a little bit of the first uh, first chapter of your book so people can kind of get a sense of where we're going. I'm going to start actually a little bit into the story uh, because I want to give you a good lead up to, to sharing what happened. <laughs> so here's what you wrote. Like most children, I had no concern for safety and no understanding that I could be seriously hurt. After all, I believed in God and he had assigned me a guardian angel to keep us safe. I rarely referred to myself without including my twin sister, Kathy. Earlier in the summer, I had disobeyed the rule of not going into the garden barefoot. I ended up stepping on a garden hoe, which left a hole between my toes. My toe did not fall off, as the nurse said, and I did not grow an extra toe, as the doctor said. <laughs> of course, I knew they were both joking, and it wasn't scary to me at all. In my mind, I believed I would live forever. However, on this sunny day in early September, all of that changed. Tell us what happened that September? So um, my 
my dad had been concerned about um, some of the maple trees in our yard that were very close to our house. And so he was working on trimming them um, and taking down several of the larger branches that he felt were could cause damage to the house. And um, somehow I got in the way and one of those branches, which was described to me as basically the size of a, of a small tree itself, fell on me and crushed my skull. And you were seven years old at the time. Yes. And tell us what you remember of what happened and then what came after. I, I don't really have a memory of the actual accident. I have fleeting images of that day. Um, but um, I, I, I kind of remember waking up in the hospital and not really understanding what was going on. And um, my, um, my parents said, well, you were in an accident and you, you can't move the left side of your body. And I was like, I didn't really believe them. I remember wiggling the toes on my, on my right foot and saying, see, I can move. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I also couldn't even sit up at that point. Um, I needed to actually, when they, when I was put in a wheelchair, I needed to be tied into the wheelchair so I wouldn't fall off. Um, Cause I had lost my, balance even in sitting up and I couldn't swallow properly um and so I really talking even though I never really lost my ability to, you know my language center wasn't really affected but because the muscles on the left side of my face were weakened it was hard for people to understand me and I, I had to go through speech therapy and physical therapy and occupational therapy and um but you know at first I had to recover from from the actual injury and get stabilized before I could um, really make headway with the rehabilitation. So, in the book, you mentioned because obviously um, you you were lost a lot of what happened in the moment, and so a lot of what you know has been built on the memories and what other people have shared with you, including your sisters, um, of which you have seven, and your parents. Um, and one of the things I was struck by as, as I was reading what you had written was 
before you woke up, your parents were not given very much hope. Share no, a little bit they, more about what they experienced in that moment. Well, they they basically were told that even though I was uh, the day of my accident, they were told that even though I was still alive, that the next 72 hours were very crucial and they were not convinced. They were given almost no hope that I was going to survive those 72 hours. They were told if you're praying people, pray now. And if you know praying people, contact them. And so um, the our, our local priest actually held a 72-hour prayer vigil. Um, but the actual commu- the community as a whole really kind of rallied around um, my family and me and um they uh even um the uh the EMTs and the firemen laughed emptied their wallets at the hospital and gave my parents the money and said this is not a loan you need this take it you don't know how long you're going to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, you know, I, I, I obviously knew what had happened because I was in your class and, and you were my friend. And so I, I we lived in a small community. Everybody knew what had happened. But one of the things that I felt as I was working with you to get the, the story out in the book was that I never fully appreciated what your parents went through. And I didn't appreciate, I mean, I was a kid. So, I mean, I probably couldn't have, even if I had been able to think that way, but part of what you, what you gave me from the writing was this incredible appreciation for your parents. Maybe because I'm a parent now, I can see it differently. I'm older, obviously I have a different perspective. Um, But I can't tell you how many times I've thought about your parents as we've been working through this process, thinking any parent, the scariest thing to hear is that your child isn't going to make it. I mean, that's just terrifying at a, at a gut level for anybody who's a parent. But then going forward, because there were eight children in your family. And yeah. there was a lot going on. I mean, that's a lot of kids to take care of on the best day. And now one of these children needed extreme rehabilitation, um, was, you know, had some special needs and some, some things that needed to be addressed. And there is a point in your story where the doctors actually told your parents that they should find a place for you, that you wouldn't be coming home. Tell a little bit about that, because again, from your parents' perspective, um, and what they did in response to that just gave me so much in, just deep respect for them. Well, they um, they were not accepting that 
they made it very clear to the doctors that I was their child and they were not going to forget about me, nor were they going to leave me in some facility that as a family, they were going to take care of me. And um, they were very much a united front, you know, and they, um, in taking, by taking care of me, they didn't expect that they were just going to do everything for me. They believed that I was going to learn and grow through struggle. And so they were going to deal with me struggling and we were going to get through it as a family. And you did. And they challenged you. They, they, they really worked all of your family your, your parents, your sisters um, really challenged you when you got home to get better. Um, you tell some great stories about your sister, Judy, um, when she she was so um, focused on helping you get better. Tell us a little bit about right. what she did to help you. Well, you know, I, I really kind of thought she was being really mean to me. <laughs> um, but she really kind of stuck to me doing the therapies that I had been given to do things like the visual therapy, putting the um, putting the puzzles together, um, which I absolutely hated. Um, and uh, I remember there was a, she would always make me do my physical therapy. And um, one of one of the things with my physical therapy was I had to stand on this board. This is not in the book, but I remember I had to stand on this board that was tilted so it would um, stretch out the tendons and ligaments in my feet, um, which um, was necessary because when you when you have paralysis in your lower limbs, well, actually in any limb, those um, tendons and ligaments tend to shrink. So if you don't keep them stretched out, then you end up with difficulty and become more challenged physically. And I remember her setting the timer and saying, you need to stand there on that board for these 20 minutes, you know, and really being very, She just was very stern about, you know, this is what you have to do. And I'm sorry, you know, she was and, and she was, you know, when she actually told me about, I remember trying to learn to tie my shoes and um, she was, she made me struggle. Um, but what I didn't know is that she had taught herself to tie her shoes with one hand so that she could say it can be done. Amazing. 
absolutely amazing. Um, again, because I'm, I'm going to speak not just for myself, but I think a lot of us, um, we, we certainly knew you had gone through this, but we really fully didn't appreciate what your family did and how they handled this um, in, so incredibly well to help you get better. And the other piece of that that I'll add is um, it, it, I don't, I know I didn't fully appreciate it from Kathy's perspective either. Uh, being a twin, you and Kathy, mm -hmm. fraternal twins, being a twin added another dimension to this whole piece for you. Because although you did come back in second grade, at the end of second grade, it was decided that you wouldn't move on to third grade with the rest of our class. And yet you had a twin sister, Kathy, who did. Can you share a little bit about what that was like for both of you in that moment where you had, although been in separate classes, you were still in the same grade and then things started shifting. What was that like for you? What was it like for Kathy and how did that impact your relationship with her? Well, you know, I, I really felt as though I was being abandoned in the, in the beginning um, when I realized I was not going to go on to third grade. And I also, I was very upset that Kathy seemed to have moved on and that she was no longer, we were connected at the hip, but it was almost like she was totally avoiding me and didn't want to have anything to do with me, um, which I didn't understand, you know, and, and it was very hurtful for me. Um, but, you know, later on, you know, my mother did tell me that, you know, Kathy didn't do well with my accident that she, um, she was having a hard time accepting that I was better because in her mind, I couldn't move properly. And um, Kathy needed to grieve herself, the loss of her best friend as she knew her. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it took Kathy quite a while, took a while for us to um, become close again. And I don't think it was until um, after she graduated from college that we really totally reconnected. Mm -hmm. um, you, you tell a really great story in in the book about because she was your twin your parents thought it might be good for you if she came um, because she was sort of your safety blanket or your your teddy bear kind of you know she was your your partner she was your twin and so she was the one who saw you in the hospital she yeah. was the one who experienced 
what you looked like in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, how hurt you really were. Um, and, and you, you helped, I think, to, to draw the picture of how traumatic that must have been for her. I, I think I did. Um, you know, that's something that Kathy and I actually have never really talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she, like me, had to figure it out on her own. She had to go through that process. Um, you know, t- TB, a traumatic brain injury, really is it's a, a family affair just because I had the injury, I was not the only one affected. It's affects the whole family system. And really the whole community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that is one of the most powerful messages of your book of many. Another powerful message is your, your faith. And I want to talk about it in relation to the title of the book, which is Dancing in the Garden. You see that my book, by the way, is all posted, noted with all the places I want to get to here in our our conversation. Uh, But the title of the book is Dancing in the Garden. Because when you were in recovery in the hospital, when you were in, in the process of healing, you had an experience that led to the title of the book. So I think it's important to let the listeners know what that is. So when I was, um, I had to go um, for a second surgery. Um, So my accident was in September. And then um, in April, I had to return to the hospital and have a plate put in um, to replace the bone that they had removed. And, um, it was, I was very scared, you know, and I didn't, I didn't really feel as though I could tell my parents how scared I was. I didn't feel like I wanted them to think I was a baby. And, um, so I kind of bottled that up inside and and chose not to express my fear. Um, but when um, when I went um, in for the surgery and they put me to sleep, I I had a spiritual experience where I entered a garden and I walked with God in the garden for a while. And at the end of our conversation, which you can read about in the book, I, uh, I danced before the Lord. And how did that experience impact your life? At that point, I knew that I knew that God existed and that 
even though life was going to be hard, that it was going to be good and that the Lord loved me and he had a plan and a purpose for my life. So powerful. So, so, so powerful. And you tell more of that story in the book. So um, listeners, I definitely encourage you to to pick it up and, and read more about that. It also cemented, um, in many ways, your faith. Uh, you already were brought up in the church, and and you know, as, as a seven-year-old, whatever faith means to us at that age, you you had that. Um, but but it certainly seemed to cement that for you as you went forward in life, and you did go forward. You you did come back from this. Uh, you graduated high school. You gradu- graduated the year after Kathy and I did, and you went on to college. I did. That was a very different experience for you, wasn't it? <laughs> it it was. It was um it was not what I had expected. You know, I really growing up in the community we, we grew up in, I was very I'm going to say sheltered, but I was I was very unaware of um, public thoughts of people with disabilities and um, their ability to be part of society. Um, and it was there that I basically felt being discriminated against for the first time. Yeah. You tell a story about a professor that you had in the teaching program who was very vocal in telling you what she thought about your ability to be a teacher. Share a little bit more about what she said. Well, she she said to me, so I had gone to see her because she was my um, counselor, my, my advisor. And it was at the end of the, first semester and I just wanted to talk to her about um, what classes I should take the following semester and so if she could give me some tips on being able to navigate the college experience a little better because I had really been struggling especially physically with the doors and just um, fitting in socially I was um and she so I went into her office and I was there like two minutes and she basically told me I didn't have what it took to become at that point I was um in the health science program for teaching she's basically said I didn't have what it took to be a teacher that um in order for me to graduate with that degree, I would have to take a foundations class and she was the only one that taught the class and she was not gonna pass me, plain and simple. And I, my heart sank and I just cried. 
because I didn't know what else to do at that point. Um, and I, I actually talked to one of my um, sweet mates at the time. And sadly, her response was, your professor's right. I mean, you're disabled and people with disabilities don't belong in college. And so I, I really had to reevaluate at that point whether or not I was headed in the right direction. And um, thankfully, I, I kind of just did what I had to do. You know, I changed advisors. I, um, I thankfully, I met some, another student who really kind of took me under her, her wing and um, helped me. Um, feel more accepted at, at that point I think I I had a, another spiritual growth experience which gave me the courage to continue on um, yeah and you did you you finished your bachelor's degree and even went on from there but you know <laughs> even hearing it even though I you know, have spoken to you about it, but just even hearing it again now, it's just like my, my heart just sinks to think that somebody would say that and what it must've felt like to hear that. And part of your message, part of your life is really helping to raise awareness of what it means to have a disability and how to treat people with disabilities in our, in our world, in our culture. And you know, I hope whoever that person was and whoever that sweet mate was has learned from, from you and from what you went on to do um, and, and maybe grown themselves. And I hope that people listening can grow and, and become more aware as well from stories like yours. Um, at one point, you mentioned that as, as you're working now and working with people with disabilities, um, that one of them mentioned to you that sometimes they just wish they would be seen because they feel invisible. What, what's the message? What's the, what do you want people to become aware of in terms of, of working with anybody, um, able, disabled, whatever? Um, what's the message that you wanna share? That we all are human beings who should be responsible um, treated with respect um, that uh, we we're all alike. I mean, whether you have a disability or not, you have dreams and hopes and um, get reaching those may look a little differently, but they shouldn't be dismissed. It's, uh, it's such an important message for all of us um, and to, to remember that we're all the same. We're, we all have those, those dreams and wishes and hopes and feelings, um, no matter what our physical body is doing. <laughs> yes. 
you you went on, um, you finished your bachelor's degree, you got your master's degree, you went out into the workforce, you're working now. Yeah. Um, but you also had another another great experience. And I want to make sure that we we mention your husband, uh, Mark, because yeah. he has been such a, a partner for you in your life, in your adult life. Um, share a little bit about your relationship with Mark, how you met him, um, and and how long you've been married. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. Oh, Mark. He, he just makes me laugh. You know, he really brings a lot of joy to my life. Um, but uh, so I, um, throughout the years, you know, every little girl has that, that dream that someday, you know, they'll get married and, you know, they think, dream about their wedding and, um, which I, you know, of course had before my accident. And then, you know, after my accident, I, um, it didn't go away. Um, but I didn't necessarily have people um, who believed that that would happen and uh, felt as though they needed to shield me from that desire. Um, so I did, for, for a long time, I, um, I was single and I heard the message, well, it's better to be single than to be married to somebody who isn't right for you. Um, I could give you the speech, but, um, but I never really gave up on that dream. Um, I think it, I think I kind of matured a little bit with the idea behind it, that it wasn't all roses and wine. <laughs> but um, I actually met Mark through a friend. I, uh, my friend who I actually dedicated the book to, um, I had met uh, at, at work. She and I worked together in a local agency and um, she had encouraged me to go back to school to get my master's degree. And um, so I had actually left work so that I could do that. Um, and so I didn't see her on a regular basis, but um, I, had, I had called her um, at one point. It was like her birthday and I had called her and I just had left her a message and she called me back and she said that she had planned on getting a hold of me because she was running a support group for people with traumatic brain injuries who were parents and, and helping them with their parenting and discussing the difficulties of parenting after a brain injury. And uh, she had mentioned this 
one man who had come in and had told her he'd heard about this woman who was in the community that had was a brain injury but was high functioning like he was and he just really hoped that he would be able to find her so that they could sit down and and compare notes as to dealing with the challenges of having a brain injury and living in the community. So she actually put two and two together and realized he was talking about me. And she asked if I would be willing to call him and just be a peer support for him. And so I did. And then we talked on the phone for, I'm going to say it's probably three months before we actually met in town for a cup of coffee and just to see each other. And we had a three hour cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. (laughs) Hmm? I'm guessing the coffee got cold. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We, yes, we, um, I think at that point I knew that we were probably going to get married, but I, you know, of course, (laughs) you know, you don't want to say love at first sight or, you know, be oblivious to the um, difficulties of, having a brain injury, being married and being married to somebody with a brain injury. Um, So, but we did, we ended up, we've been married now almost 16 years. And it's one of the best decisions I ever made. Mark just, he just is wonderful. When when he met my family, I I had invited him to a family wedding, and by the end of that weekend, all of my sisters and their spouses came to me and said, "You better not let this one go." And so he. I think that I would be um, cut out of the will before he would. <laughs> I'd be disinherited before him. That's a beautiful love story. Um, I have not met him in this process other than to see him um, once in a while on the screen. But I know just as you speak about him and, and how he, it, you light up when you speak about him, what a blessing he's been in your life and, and how the, and, and vice versa. Um, how the two of you have really created a beautiful partnership together. So it's always heartwarming to hear love stories, right? <laughs> so I, I appreciate yeah. you, what you've got. 16 years of marriage is, is amazing. So you, mm-hmm. you carried on with your life. You got a beautiful marriage and you now have a best-selling book. What, what do you hope this book will do? What's, what's next for you with, with this book? 
Well, you know, originally I I felt as though um, traumatic brain injury doesn't get enough coverage. Um, the statistics surrounding brain injury is phenomenal. I, I believe it's like one every nine seconds. Hmm. Some every nine seconds, somebody is um, diagnosed with a brain injury, and that's like one in sixty people. And so the chances of you being affected by brain injury, either having somebody in your life who's had a brain injury or having one yourself are phenomenal and that people need to know that. Um, and I, it's my feeling that prevention is really the only cure and so I wanted to bring light to that. Um, and now, you know, now that I have this book, I I am available for to do some guest speaking if anybody would want to had the need for a guest speaker and would want to have somebody talk on that topic or even um, my faith. That is something I'm very open to. I'm planning on continuing to work in the brain injury field, but I definitely am open to, can you know, talking about my book and the message of my book. I think that it really needs to be out there. I I agree with you. I think that it is a topic that most of us don't know anything about, and yet probably every one of us is impacted by it in some way, whether it's somebody in our own family that's been, uh, that's experienced a TBI, or whether it's somebody in our community um, that's experienced it. Uh, it is, it is prevalent, way more prevalent than I think we do realize. And to recognize it's there, to find ways to prevent traumatic brain injury as many ways as we can and 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 also to recognize what people with TBI go through and ways that we can serve better handle things better become more aware so that we do more for people in our communities that have TBI are all really strong messages and I, and I think your story is so powerful, Colleen, that I'm so excited for you to go out and share it and to present on this topic. If somebody was interested in having you come and speak, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you so that they could arrange that? They could contact me through my email, which is ColleenDeLue525 at gmail.com, or they can find me on Facebook, um, Colleen Baldwin DeLue. Excellent. Excellent. I'll make sure that gets in the show notes so that if you are interested, you can find that information in the, in the content below. 
Colleen, there's so much more to this story. There are so many layers of complexity to your life and to this topic and to faith and all of the messages that you're bringing forward. So I encourage people to go out and buy the book and to follow Colleen because um, something there's something in here that we, we can all learn. But because we do need to wrap this up and we can't talk all day, although it would be fun to, uh, I do wanna wrap it up with the question that I do like to in, invite all of our authors to answer, which is the concept of it just takes one and what that phrase means. In your case, in your life, Colleen, what does it just takes one mean to you? You know, when you ask that question, what came to mind to me um, was throwing a rock. I remember, you know, skipping rocks as a, as a child, but when you throw a rock into a body of water, there's ripple effects. And we don't know how far those ripple effects will go. You know, even, even just the thought of me listening to that podcast and having Bernie Freitag um, have the courage to write his book. Um, and and it, even now I had just at this week, I had a friend come to me and tell me that her husband read the book. She has not read it yet, but she bought, you know, two of them with the thought of giving one to her um, sister-in-law who's had a brain injury and currently is struggling with some other issues. And she just thought that this book would um, help encourage her. And, you know, so there's somebody who I don't know that is possibly going to be a affected by my book. Yeah. And I think many, many other people will be affected by your book. Um, many that you may never even know. I love that visual of dropping the rock in the water and the ripples expand and extend in places we could never have predicted, um, including our reconnection, Colleen. Um, that was a, a ripple that came about completely unexpectedly, but has been such a blessing and such a joy for me. Thank you. Thank you for going on this journey with me, for taking what it took to write your book and trusting me to help you do that and to get it done. Um, thank you for your friendship. Uh, thanks for coming back into my life. I look forward to our continued connection going forward and also to everything that you are able to do with this book and, and the message that you're sharing. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, I, without you, I would not have been able to get this message out. So, and I, as, as much as you appreciate the reconnection, I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see where it takes us next. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is it for us today. If you're interested in purchasing Colleen's book, you can find it on Amazon. I will put her contact information in the notes below. Colleen, congratulations, and we'll be in touch okay. again soon. Okay, thank you.
I'm wondering how many of you who are listening know somebody who has suffered a traumatic brain injury. In our conversation, Colleen cited some startling statistics about how prevalent this is. She said it was something like every nine seconds, somebody suffers a TBI, and yet it isn't something that we hear a lot about. That's why I'm so glad that Colleen is sharing her story and that she's written this book to help spread her message about prevention and how important that is to helping diminish the number of people who suffer TBI and also to provide resources for people who have suffered and their families. As she said, it isn't just the people who suffer the injury that have the impact, that it actually impacts everybody around them. Certainly, it's a powerful message, and I hope that you're inspired by her story. If you'd like to purchase her book to learn more, it's available on Amazon. I will put the link in the show notes below. And certainly, if you would like to get in touch with her, please do. It has been such a blessing for me to be able to reconnect with her and to reestablish a friendship that was started so many years ago. And I can't wait to see where she takes this next. <laughs> In any case, this brings us to an end of another episode of It Just Takes One. Thank you, as always, for listening in. We have more stories to share and more books coming out. So stay tuned for more podcast episodes coming soon.